This is Daffy Duck, and you're listening to, uh, what's my line? Hey, I said pay attention, boy. You're listening to, I said you're listening to the Movie Rob Minute Podcast. Uh, Yes, that one. Keep on listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 86 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Aaron Newworth of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about Die Hard. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. And, uh, you know, just try, try not to, to do diddly squat here. <laughs> uh, I'm balling up my, my my toes and I'm ready to do this. There you go, there you go. Well, you did that a long time ago. <laughs> Episode 86 begins with the crowd screaming and ends with Al trying to defend John's position. So Friday, uh, we ended with uh, our good friend, the complete idiot Ellis, getting his brains blown out because he's just not very smart. <laughs> Hans, Bubby. <laughs> I'm your white knight. <laughs> Basically, Hans walks out of the office and holds his hand out with, with the walkie-talkie so that everyone listening can hear the, the screaming of all of the uh, hostages. So today's minute actually continues from that exact moment because, you know, he's he's still standing out there and he's got his hand outstretched and we're listening to these various screams of people you know and then we get to see john's face as he's you know hearing it also i mean you can you can actually see that bruce willis plays his character really well you can hear the you can see the concern on his face of what's happening you know he he knows that ellis was just shot you know but why is there screaming you know he doesn't know particularly where that screaming what the screaming is all about. Is it just because of the shot? Is it because of something else? Who knows? What do you think? I mean, I, I think Willis has a pretty good idea of what's going McLean has a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Uh, and, and, and Hans knows it. That's why he's doing it. He's saying like, like you're a problem and people are going to die because you are going to continue being a problem. I have this meticulously planned out heist that I'm going through and you're, making things worse and i'm gonna make it worse for you the only way i know how to which is to kill people that you either know or don't but they're gonna die and people are gonna suffer if if you don't like help me out here like it's a particularly mean thing to do for a guy that's you know he's the villain but he's still he's not you know the 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 deaths in this movie on his end are there because they he feels they need to be not because he's a psychopath right so it's and I think McLean is very aware of that. He knows who he, the kinds of people he's dealing with. He says that to Ellis before he shoots him. He, you know, he, uh, you know, Ellis doesn't know the kind of guy you're dealing with, but I do. Uh, he's a, he's a smart cop. And but like, and this is the only scene I think that I have of Willis this week as far as seeing him. So it's it's a testament to I think to what he's doing as an actor. Where yes, there's so much physical work that he's doing, and there's the quips and the one-liners or whatnot. But there's a lot, of, and there's you know the, the later scenes like when he gets the glass on his feet, where like he has to do work as a performer. And here's the scene where he can't, he's helpless. Like he tried the best he can to stop this guy from getting shot for being a dumbass. Didn't work. 
but what's he going to do? He can't give up his position. He can't give up the detonators. He can't give up the things that are going to keep him alive and people basically safe for the most part. It's it's a lot for like what for you know a shot of him reacting to a difficult situation. No, but my my question more was does does he know that Hans is not torturing other people at this point? Do you think that? I I don't. I mean, I think Hans. I think McLean is smart enough to know that he just killed a man. He's not going to just go out into the crowd and start shooting other people also. Right. Okay. The hostages, the hostages are what he has. Like that's, that's what, that's Han's leverage right now. Right. Like he, he can't just murder more people. And again, he's a smart guy. He knows he doesn't, what killing one person is the same as killing 50. He doesn't need to kill 50 people. He can kill one person. Right. Well, you kill them one at a time. That's that's the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you kill them all at once. You know. I mean, obviously, you know, those of us who who've seen the movie and know what's going to happen, the plan is eventually to kill all of them. <laughs> but, uh, I, but that's just to cover things up. Plan he doesn't care. Like if something happens, something happens. But he's go- he's gone at that point. If the plan yeah. goes off that hitch, like he's out of there. Like it doesn't. You know, whether they die or not, not his concern. <laughs> right. Completely. Well, because he wants to, you know, be sitting on the beach collecting twenty percent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, then we hear over the radio, Hans says, do you hear that? Talk to me. Where are my detonators? Where are they? Or shall I shoot another one? Sooner or later, I might get to someone you do care about. And then we, we get a little, you know, Hans knows that John is there for a reason. You know, he doesn't know who John is, except for the fact that he's a cop. But he knows that he's he's not just randomly there. You know, he wasn't just yeah. someone walking by and said, oh, there's a party going on. Not to tell me. I'm going to go upstairs and see what's going on. You know, so, you know, as as we said, Hans is quite clever and knows knows what he's yeah. talking about. Well, the yeah, they're, they're, they're both smart guys. That's, you know, yeah. that's that's a whole part of this thing. They're, they're, it is a genuine <laughs> cat and mouse game between the two of them. And a, it very much helps both of their characters as far as exacerbating situations in a way that's going to make things harder for the guy that has it all planned out and make it incredibly hard for the guy that didn't plan on this at all. All right. But I mean, you, you, they're both very smart, but they're different types of smart. John is more street smart. And, you know, uh, Hans is, is more the type of guy who's doing, who's planning everything in a very intelligent way. I mean, this is something that we've discussed numerous times over the last uh, few months, but, it's very clear that that Hans is the only one who knows the full plan. You know, Theo doesn't sure. even know what yeah. his plan is for the seventh lock. You know, Theo knows he's got to get through the six locks. You know, he doesn't know what the plan is for the seventh lock. I, and and the, the debate is is still up as to you know what uh, what Carl knows. You know, does Carl understand the the full plan, or is it the idea that okay, you know, he's compartmentalized everything? in order to maybe keep himself safe. I mean, that's part of it to agree, I'm sure. And I mean, that's just, I mean, he's the boss. I mean, the boss doesn't have to tell you everything. <laughs> Essentially, right. the captain. Yeah, right, no, the but the question no, is, is he... Not, I, know, do you think I, know he's like, I know what you're asking. Do you, do you think he's like asking. the Joker? I, yes, except the Joker, for the one thing, he's a sociopath, and his plan doesn't include, like, making sure everyone around him is you know still alive he'll get rid of anybody at the drop of a dime i don't think hans is that cold no but, but joker is... joker's plan is to to kill everybody it's not a question of you know that's the way his plan is 
I, I was saying that. I was, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was saying the Joker is a sociopath. Yes. His plan does not include survivors. He, Correct. He, he will kill anyone at a drop of a dime. That's his thing. He and because he feels like it. Not even if it's a plan. Just because that's the thing he does. Right. Hans, I, as I said, I don't think Hans is that cold. I don't think Hans's plan is to screw everybody over. I think Hans has a genuine plan involving people that he trusts and knows, and they'll get their share or what have you, and the plan will go off. But he's a perfectionist. Like He, he will do what he needs to to get things done uh, without having to betray everybody in the process. You right. could say less of his brother in Dire of a Vengeance, where the plan apparently was to screw everybody over. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but we're not talking about Jeremy Irons. We're talking about Not yet. We'll, we'll, get, there. we'll get there eventually. And, and I, I don't think that his goal was to you know compartmentalize for the sake of only benefiting himself. I just think he's the guy in charge. He doesn't need to tell everybody everything. Like, right. It's not like it for for a variety of reasons. Correct. Okay. No, that that makes sense for sure. So then, uh, you know, John gives his uh, typical answer: "Go f yourself, Hans." <laughs> mm-hmm. I I love the look on his face when he says it. You know, he's 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 at in some ways he's you can see that he's exhausted. He's at wit's end because of what just happened. You know, because he's. He's still, uh, I don't know if traumatized is the right word, but he's still being affected by the fact that Ellis was killed because of him. Someone died. You know, Ellis is an idiot. <laughs> you know, Ellis is an idiot, and, you know, but he did what he can to try and save her. Yeah. I, I mean, I would. I don't think he thinks it's his fault, but I do think, yeah, I mean, Ellis is going to die the second he walked in that room. I mean, that's that's his own doing at that point. But yeah, John yeah, can feel sure. guilty because why would it? Why wouldn't you? You're in a situation where a man just got shot while you were trying to just talk him down from it. Right. Exactly. Especially when you're telling him, tell them you don't know me. <laughs> Not that that would have really helped him either at that point. Because if he would go, oh, well, you know, I don't really know. I mean, it's the only thing he could do because he's not going to give up anything else. So it's like the only thing he could do is tell, <laughs> talk out of the situation. You talk yourself into it. Talk yourself out of it because I'm not going to come there to save you right now. <laughs> Correct. No, but he could have always guy given I, a power. Guy I, just met, guy I just met an hour ago who's an <laughs> asshole. I'm not going to come save you. <laughs> Correct. No, but but if if Ellis was smart, once he realized that, that the jig is up, he could have just given him Holly. You know, he's that type of guy. You know, he 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 really he wasn't wouldn't be chivalrous and say, oh, I'm going to die instead of giving over Holly. That's an interesting thing to think about, actually. Maybe you discussed this already on the Ellis focused episodes. But no, we, we didn't. We, didn't. If, we if, never got there. If the situation well, if the situation stretched out longer, would he have done that? Because he could have. I mean, the fact is, he didn't. I mean, he introduced himself as a friend of John's. Right. I mean, if you wanted to if you wanted to solve a situation by the pettiest way possible he could have been like hey i guess what I, i'm your white knight because this guy that's bugging you uh he works with my friend or he he's the wife of my friend who works here like he could have easily right. done that if you really wanted to be just nothing at all like just be right no but i'm not even saying that he you know he it's fine that his original plan was to say i'm a friend of john's you know but i'm saying uh-huh. once he realized that 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 wasn't working you know then he said well yeah, you no, know what i hear you I could I could now give her up. You know that's the thing. I don't. I, I, okay, I, yeah, and that and that makes me curious. If if he didn't shoot him, if there was an extra five minutes where he was still able to talk, right? If it would have gone down that path, exactly. Now, Grant, exactly. He, he, he might not have he might not have gotten that to that point yet. Maybe that was in his back pocket. But I, I'm right. curious if it actually would have came, come into play. Right, because it, it goes back to you know the first first week of this this movie. You know where where he's you know trying to 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 get Holly into bed basically. You know, he's trying to convince her to come over to his place and, uh, you know, he he knows she's married. 
but you know she's been away from her husband for six months, so that probably means something. So, so he's running after. Her. I mean, uh, we've discussed this before, but if if this was happening today, he would have been slapped with a uh, sexual harassment uh, charge a long, long time ago. I don't think he would have had to what worry about Hans shooting him. We're still on we're still on Ellis now. I'm like, what is his goal though? Like, say he gets it. Say he gets to Hans. He he gets in there. He talk he and he successfully talks his way into something. What is that something? Like, what is the end goal for for Ellis in this situation? He's he's like, he. I think he naively believes that if he gives them John, then you know things things will be calm and they'll eventually let them go. I guess, yeah, yeah. That's just ultimate naivety. Again, he's he's, 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 he's also high on coke. He's also high. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. he gets up. It's like I'm gonna go end this and like wipes his nose and that's goes right. after, like, yeah, that's so. right. Well, something he he does have his white courage, you know, his powdered courage or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> that that made him do something right. really really stupid. <laughs> well, that's Ellis chat. What what else is going on? In this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, I mean, John's John's response of go fuck yourself, Hans, you know, it's he realizes who he knows who he's dealing with here, as he said to, to Alistair also, yeah. you know, and, you know, he couldn't do anything to save Alice. But he also knows that that, you know, in some ways, Alice is the one who put him in that position. Oh, he knows. Yeah. 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 So then the, the, the scene changes and we, we get to see. uh you know, it's the, actually the, good. Like, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really good scene. It's just when he, when Hans first gets on that phone, he's like, "I found someone I think you know," and you can see it in his face, in Will's face, like, "Oh no, they found Holly." And then the second Ella starts talking, like, you get this mix of like befuddled, confused, and oh, this is where this is going, and now yeah. I have to like try to figure. Like, it's a lot of. It's just I like all this with Willis. Like, Again, yeah, like this whole sequence is part and work where it puts him because yeah, it puts him down in the dumps for right for a reason. Yeah. And yeah, he's run. He runs out of quips at that point. It's like go fuck yourself. Like that's the only thing he can say. <laughs> exactly. Is, yeah. Completely. And and then we we get once again we go back to the to the cops. You know we have uh, Al and we have uh, our our good friend another another idiot. You know uh, Dwayne, Dwayne D Robinson. Dwayne <laughs> D Robinson, right? Who who screams out? Did you hear that? He just let the guy die, man. He just gave him up. Give me that headset. Now, I I think that the characters all keep forgetting that this is they're all talking on a party line, you know. <laughs> well, they switch they switch channels. I mean, do they? Do you think they do? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, well, I mean, there's no. It's just a it's just a annoying screenplay if it's just make sure to switch to channel three every time you say some kind of line of dialogue to establish that you're changing channels. But they change. I mean, they listen in like we know like. Yes, it's a party line as far as anyone could listen at any time if they switch to the right channel or whatnot. And like even Hans interrupts. That's right. Um, he Al and John later on when they're talking about like the glass story and every or like the the shooting the kid story and all that. No, he but interrupted I mean, him last week when he said touchy, touching, touching. You know, when, okay, fair when the whole thing with uh, with Ellis. So yeah, like they yeah. can tune in at will basically. But I mean, I do think they are making the effort still to change channels when they can. If they happen to, be, if, you know, they all happen to tune in to certain, you know, change, switch over to the right channel, then like you can't stop that. But correct. But but like, how does John and Al know which channel to switch to so that they can talk? You know, no, that that's why Whatever, I'm, I still what, believe what, that they're all talking on the same channel. You know, I don't I don't think they're changing channels here. You know, there are other movies where they specifically say. 
you know, switch to, to you know, switch now to Channel 3 or whatever it is, you know. I think it's I think it's just shoe leather that you just don't need in a movie, so you just don't directly reference it. That said, I mean, yes, they're they're still speaking vague enough because they know that it's a factor. Yeah. Like yeah. they're never revealing things that are stuff they wouldn't re- they w- would only talk about if they knew they were exclusively on the line together. Correct. Well, that's why John doesn't want to give up his uh, you know, his his he must keep his anonymity with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense. But again, part of the whole idea is these these conversations, you know, you have Thornburg listening to it from the news. Okay, you have the cops listening, you have Hans listening, you have John listening. You know, so everyone is and and then uh, I forgot our good friend Argyle is also listening to everything. You know, everyone knows <laughs> that okay, it's boring, so let's just listen in on uh, channel five, I don't know, in order to hear everything that's going on. At this point, Robinson says, Give me that headset. That's like pulling the trigger yourself. I mean, that, that's that's a very extreme position for him to say something like that. Well, he's dumb. Yes, <laughs> he, he is. Open to conclusions he's, every he's dumb. Day. He's dumb, but he is, you know, deputy chief of police. You know, it's not as if he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen dumber people rise to higher positions. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> that's very true. Very true. I mean, he has had some some good lines where he shows that he does care a little bit about what's going on, but uh, today is not a part of that. You know, by saying the whole thing that uh, you know that that's like pulling the trigger himself. And then Al goes, "Christ, man, can't you see what's happening? Can't you read between the lines?" And I I gotta say, I don't like Powell's del- deliverance here of 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 this line. It it just doesn't. It sounds uh, pandering, the way that he's talking. I mean, it should. He's he's being very condescending. Like he's 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 been with this man enough to not respect how he's handling things. Correct. He's not going to start sure. respecting it now. I I have no I have no issue with this. Right. Okay. All right. But I mean, there is an idea of chain of command also. Uh, if he was worried about that, he wouldn't be in that situation. Right. Okay. That's true. He's 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 been he's he's been shot at. He's crashed his car. He's bleeding. He's got a pregnant wife at home or whatever. Like he's who's missing the Twinkies. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's dealing with enough stress. He's not going to worry about what the idiot next to him saying. Right. That's true. So have, have you? Ever, I'm assuming you've heard before the 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 phrase to read between the lines. Yeah. Right. I mean, basically, <laughs> it's 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 funny that he says it this way because. Because it makes it sound as if Al is saying to uh, Robinson, you're just looking at the actual words that were being said. You're not looking at the whole situation. Uh-huh. You know, and so, I mean, it works really well from that perspective. You know, you, think you have to read between the lines. You have to know what John was trying to do here. You know, and Robinson just completely ignores him and, you know, takes the, the radio and goes, is this the right channel? <laughs> and then uh, the guy next to him, who who's played by Anthony Peck, you know, he once again has a little line. Now I don't know if you recognize this actor from other places. He was also in Die Hard Three. He plays uh, Ricky, a different you know one of the cops that uh, that McLean works with. He was also in Hunt for October. He played the uh, second in command of the Dallas. You know when uh, when Scott Glenn's character is no longer there. You know, so he's the one who uh, takes control of the ship and or of the sub and stuff like that. And then 
Powell continues and says he did everything he could to save him. If he gave himself up, they'd both be dead right now. No way, man. No way. They'd be talking to us. Listen, you tell his partner yours to stay the hell out of this from now on. Because if he doesn't, I'm going to nail him. I'm going to really nail his ass. Now, believe me. <laughs> and then we, we get the line from Powell that is used on so many posters about this uh, about this movie. The man is hurting. He's alone, tired, and he hasn't seen diddly squat from anybody down here. Now, you're going to stand there and tell me he's going to give a damn about what you're going to do if he makes it out of there alive. Why don't you wake up? And that's basically how the uh, the minute will, will end. Okay, now... The, uh, I I really enjoyed the the fact that he mentions uh, diddly squat. You know, I I think nailing his ass. I think he's he's there, he is talking about crucifixion there. You know that that whole idea. But you know, I I, I want to focus more on the the diddly squat. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Yep. Do you, do you know where it came from? Where it comes from? No, I do not. <laughs> okay. So it basically means a minimum amount of degree. It's uh, usually used in the negative. And what it basically means is, is that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a colloquialism for, for saying that it's basically nothing. You know, it's it's funny that he's saying diddly squat as opposed to just saying something else. You know, there's there's many other terms that he could have used and said that, that might have worked a little better. You know, again, the, as I mentioned earlier, the dialogue sometimes doesn't sound like it's the right dialogue for a, uh, the character of Powell. Because he's not, you know, by using the term diddly squat, it sounds more like he's he's a guy on the streets, stuff like that. He doesn't look like he's a, a cop. Street cop. He doesn't really, he doesn't look like it. You know, he, he definitely looks like a desk cop. Not just because of his his weight and stuff like that. I'm talking about just the, I don't know. I, I despite the fact that you know in a few weeks we're gonna have the conversation between him him and John about why he's not on the street anymore and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It's the actor. You're saying that, but that's that's exactly that though. Like he literally was a street cop. That's his backstory for his character. Like it's yeah, a reasoning but... as to why he would use certain colloquialisms. What, one of which I very much heard in the early '90s when I was when I was younger. I kept yeah for sure, but I mean it's, it carries over. Yeah, like it's yeah. the movie's not not supplying that. It's giving you this exact reasoning if you need to, and which is the point of this podcast. If you need to analyze where he's coming from with how he presents himself or whatnot. His backstory is he used to be a street cop that was prob you know <laughs> probably in better shape because he's on the street more right. frequently or what have you. Like Correct. that's that's him. Like and the movie provi- and the movie provides that for you. Right. Okay. All right. That's fair. You, you, I, I I'll give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to argue about you know walkie-talkie channels, yes, the movie doesn't necessarily supply that information for me to back it up in the same way. But if you're talking about Reginald L. Johnson's backstory, the movie very much yeah. does supply the backstory for. Him. Yeah. That's true. Um, all right, so I mean, that's for. I, you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the uh, discrepancies in, in the script? 
I love this speech. I, mean, <laughs> I love what he's doing here. This is the whole reason I wanted to do this section of the episode, because uh, I, I really like what Al Powell is doing as far as standing up in the in the face of ignorance, essentially, yeah. to be like, hey, yeah, this is a terrible situation, but this guy's not your enemy. Like, and he, he does he does not need your crap to like further him along uh, to make things any worse. He's doing his best to help in a scenario that he was not he did not plan to be a part of, but now he is. And he's the only reason that you guys are down here to begin with. I mean, like, you, you yeah. need to cut him some slack. You need to actually pay attention to what's going on and not just present this jump to conclusions, non hindsight version of what's taking place. Like he's right. he is the only thing that you have that might actually help the scenario and not just let the bad guys get anything that they want. Right. I mean, he, he mentions a certain point. I, I think we haven't gotten there yet where he says he's the reason why you're dealing with the. Uh a certain number of terrorists instead of like, like five instead of seven, yeah, seven exactly. instead of nine or whatever yeah right i think he says it to, to the uh uh to the fbi guys maybe to johnson and johnson. To johnson, johnson yeah exactly right it's both it's the two of them like they're both like he you know he's like what about mclean he's like oh yeah there's a guy inside there yeah and then they yeah. go over like the whole yeah exactly so so the the, the script actually the, the the dialogue's a little bit different it's slightly different but it it's still fun to to, to look at the differences here. So between the, the conversation between Hans and John is pretty, is almost exactly the same, but the, the one between Robinson and Powell changes. So, you know, I might be a little bit repetitive, but I'm still going to, you know, read, read off uh, what it has in the script. So it says, uh, Powell fends off Robinson who wants the CB, you know, which sounds really funny. It makes it sound as if the two of them are, are arguing who gets to talk on the radio, you know, <laughs> Like a Abbott and Costello uh, move or something like that. And then it says, Robinson, God damn, didn't you hear him? He practically pulled the gun there and trigger himself. He gave that man to them. And then Powell says, Christ, can't you read between the lines? He did everything he could to save him. If he gave himself up, they'd both be dead. Maybe, and maybe they'd at least be talking to us. Now tell your partner to stay out of it. Or so help me, if he lives through this, I'll put him behind bars myself. And then Powell, it says, amused. He's alone, tired, hunted, and hasn't seen diddly squat from us. And you think he gives a flying f about what's gonna, what you're going to do to him? Robinson, wake up. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's slightly different, but I think it's, it's slightly still... different in a way where, I mean, to hark back on this, but like you know, you know, actors, you know, they'll they'll pull what they need to, and they'll you know do what they have to for you know to accomplish what the goal of the scene is, but. The, you know the words that are chosen that are still in the movie. That's no, they were from the choices. That's coming. That's yeah, saying, yeah, that's, that's coming from the choices made by the actors. Like if you didn't want to say diddly squat, you wouldn't say diddly squat. Like right. it's something. It's something that to him felt authentic for his character. Correct. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm. I just. I. I. Uh, you know. I. I think that the way that it that the final cut, you know, gives us the lines, it, it works much better. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's because again, for him to say I'll put him behind bars myself, I think it sounds better for him to say I'm going to nail it. Oh yeah, no, the Dwayne stuff is much better spoken by Paul Gleason for sure. Yeah. Like it, yeah. All right. Still wrong, but I yeah, <laughs> but, it's just, but it, it fits for him. Like it fits if he was him. right and everyone agreed on everything in this movie, then it wouldn't be as much fun. Yeah. <laughs> we have to have reasons to hate these characters, don't we? Yeah. There you go. It makes the memorable characters, and we'll get to that when we talk about uh, some top five lists later. That's right. All right, so every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday. 
where my guests will give their top five uh, diehard doppelganger movies. So what have you got for us, Aaron? Why don't you start from number five and work your way up? Okay, so this is a fun list to make because there's lots of options. But my uh, number five is Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, uh, which I think is fantastic and maybe Seagal's best movie um, outside of one where he's lesser in it. Uh, my number four is Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes. Um, always been on black. Movie rules. <laughs> uh, my number three is a French film called Sleepless Night. Um, it is a it's Die Hard in a Nightclub. It's very cool. It has some really cool action in it. Uh, has a lot in common with The Dark Knight, which was surprising to me as far as kind of the filmmaking. But in terms of like the plotting and the goals, it's very much Die Hard in a Nightclub. It was remade with, with Jamie Foxx in a, a few years back as Sleepless. Uh, not nearly. Oh, that as was good. terrible. Sleep- yeah, that's not a good movie. But the original, the French film Sleepless Night, great. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Uh, my number two is White House Down. Uh, outside of my number one, I think this is the best version of how do you do this Die Hard plot outside of Die Hard and the franchise. By the way, I kept I specifically kept off like Die Hard sequels from this list uh, just because that didn't make okay. sense to me to include, uh, or else I would have included other Die Hard movies. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, White House Down I think is meant to speak to Jamie Fox. <laughs> I think is a just a, a, a rock solid action picture um, that does the Die Harding plot uh, quite well. And number one is Speed, easily, with a bullet. Speed is the best uh, diehard-like plot or movie that there is out there, uh, practically comparable to Die Hard. I think it's fantastic all the way through, incredibly memorable. Uh, There's so many movies that I think get this wrong as far as how do you make a diehard movie. It's not just having the plot in place, but having, like we just mentioned, memorable characters. Yes. And not just the lead and the villain, having multiple memorable characters. You, so you have the people on the bus. You have Joe Morton. You have Jeff Daniels. You have this. You have a whole bunch of stuff. You have great action. You have like everything works about Speed. Uh, to me, it is, it is very much a, what like one of the best action movies of the '90s for good reason. Yeah. Um, and the way, and like uh, as a counter, like something like Skyscraper from a few years ago with The Rock. I think that movie's fine, but the huge problem is it has no memorable characters in it. There are no side Not even characters. The Rock. Not even, like, The, <laughs> the Rock's fine just because he has the fake legs. I'm like, oh, that's neat. That's a neat touch that he yeah. had to put on. But even, like, the villain is nothing. I couldn't tell you the actor offhand. Like, I'd have to think about it for a good long time <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. Uh, like, it's just... Yeah, I don't even remember who the villain is there. <laughs> it's, like, random mercenary guy. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. It's a, so that's the counter, is that... Uh, my, I have an honorable mention, uh, which is Space Jail, a.k.a. Lockout. Um, I only did not include it because it's basically Escape from L.A. or New York, um, but it's still kind of diehard as well, but I didn't yeah. want to think about it too hard. So I, got I actually said that for the first time uh, like two months ago. Someone, no. someone <laughs> else so recommended fun. it. It's so dumb, but it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Guy Pierce is, is, is the best person to be cast in that role. Oh, but he still does a nice exactly job. Why I, he does. That's exactly why I like that movie because it's yeah. so like it feels like it's actually it's so beneath him that it that it makes it more fun to watch him be in that role. Yeah. And I say that, but it's not like Guy Pearce is starring in a bunch of movies all the time that are A quality. He stars in a lot of B movies. So right. Okay. Whatever. That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, that's my top five Die Hard knockoff movies. All right. Great. Thank you very much for that. Um. So why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, you can find more of my work uh, 
a few places. I write for We Live Entertainment uh, for my movie reviews. I write, write uh, Blu-ray and Criterion reviews for WhySoBlue.com. I host a podcast with my friend Abe. It's called Out Now with Aaron and Abe. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And you can find me directly on my website, uh, MovieAroundMinute.com. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs>